your Bibles open um, to chapters 2 and 3, uh, it really will be best um, if you keep your Bibles open and see uh, what God has to say uh, to us, that it's really from God and not just from my head. But let's pray that God will speak to us using the words that God has given me. Lord, we thank you that you are God who is uh, speaking God. And Lord, we pray that the word that came to Samuel, uh, the same word will come to us, uh, that you'll make us people who listen to your word and who go out and speak it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Like the political situation uh, in Hong Kong, Israel's... Sorry. The stuff that's going on in these days in Hong Kong is a little bit, I mean, it's, 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 it's really tough. and uh, isn't pretty, but the last few pages of the book of Judges were really awful. And that was the setting of the first and second Samuel. Remember the last judge in the book of Judges for Israel was Samson. He was the most immoral judge, immoral leader of, uh, uh, in Israel's history. The book goes on then to record a rape. And the woman dies and the, her husband comes and he, he then cuts her into little pieces and sends uh, them all around the city to incite a war against the people who had done this. And as a nation towards the end, uh, Israel decides it's okay to kidnap women when they really, really needed wives. That's how the book ends. The book of Judges ends with these words. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. It was at, at an absolutely lowest moment in Israel's history. What was God doing through all of that? Well, we saw a little bit last week how God answers this woman's prayer. And as an, as an answer to that prayer, God sends Samuel, who will anoint the Messiah, who will bring God's justice and righteousness to Israel. And this week, in chapters 2 and 3, we see more of God's plan of how God will renew his people. And we see how God, God, will, God is committed to renewing his people. It might happen slowly, almost imperceptibly, but he is committed to renewing his people. And he will do that by renewing our worship, uh, to help us to see who God is and to worship God and not anything else. And he will do it through God's word. Like the political situation um, at that time, Israel's religious life was at its worst. And the Bible doesn't mince any words. Take a look at verse 12, chapter 2. Eli's sons were scoundrels. Eli's sons were the priests of Israel. They, they, the Bible says they were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. And it gives us a couple examples. Israel came to Shiloh to pray and to worship God, but most importantly, to offer their sacrifices, to receive forgiveness of sins. And one of the ways that they signified that they had been forgiven was that they ate that meal, the sacrificial, after they sacrificed, they ate a meal from the meat uh, in the presence of God, signifying that God had fellowship now with the people who brought those sacrifices, that they were forgiven, that they were allowed to be in God's presence. And by God's law, priests were entitled to the breast meat and the thigh meat of the sacrifices that people brought. But the sons of Eli wanted more. 
So what they did, they took a big fork and they stabbed the meat uh, with the fork and whatever the fork picked up, they got for themselves. They were stealing from people, people of God. But worse yet, they were also stealing from God himself. The fat of the animal was the Lord's portion, Leviticus chapter 3, to be burnt away to God. But look at what they were doing in verse 15. Before the fat was being burnt away, they steal the raw meat from the people, uh, from God, from the worshippers. If they resisted, they took it by force. They were stealing from God. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, of the enemies of the cross whose destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, Eli's sons fit the description perfectly. But it gets worse. Verse 22 tells us that Eli's sons were sleeping with the women who served at the tabernacle. Cultic prostitution was the norm for the pagan world, but this was Israel. This was God's people. There was no supposed to be cultic prostitution, but there was apparently cultic prostitution at Shiloh, in the tabernacle. Not only that, the priests of the Lord were sleeping with the women of, 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 of this cultic prostitution. Eli heard about this, and to his credit, he goes to confront his sons. He tells them of the gravity of their sins, especially since they are priests of the Lord. Verse 25, if one person sins against the other, God may mediate for the offender, but, what it, but if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? But the sons don't repent. Eli, unfortunately, isn't much better. Eli is the only person who could have done something about it. He's the high priest. He could have removed his sons from the priesthood, but he doesn't. He doesn't approve of his son's actions, but he does eat the meat that they bring in at the table. He's gotten fat later on, the man of God says uh, to him, uh, that off of the, uh, of the sacrificial meat. And as we read the book of Judges, we were to ask ourselves, how did Israel fall so far from grace? Well, how could they not? How could they not when their spiritual leaders were against God? How could they not when the people who were supposed to teach God's will, God's word to the people, are actively opposing God, have contempt for God's sacrifice? I wonder how you feel about the church, the state of the church around the world, state of the church around Hong Kong, state of the church in, Hong, uh, in Shatin Church. Some of the biggest churches in America are led by those who preach the false gospel of prosperity and self-help. Some have private jets. They say, actually, the Mercedes-Benz that they have is a sign of God's blessing, even while the people who offer, the people who support their lifestyle are in, in abject poverty. Most churches in Hong Kong are much better, thankfully, but we've had an anemic effect on the city. We've, we are weak, aren't we? Although we've enjoyed freedom of religion for so many years, only about 480,000 people in Hong Kong call themselves Protestant Christians. Out of 7.4 million people, we ask, why is the world, the city, the church so out of order? We ask, where is God in all of this? But what this passage tells us is God is committed to the renewal of his people. God is committed to it. Did you notice the snippets 
of what God is doing. Did you notice the snippet of story of Samuel intertwined with the story of Eli and his sons? Right At the end of the narration about wickedness of Eli's sons, we hear in verses 18 to 21, right there about Samuel. It's this boy Samuel who's wearing a linen ephod. Well, linen ephod was a priestly garment. What the narrator is telling us is a new era of new priesthood is coming. And then we get the story about the temple prostitution in verses 22 to 25. But at the end of that story, we get verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature, in favor with the Lord and with the people. In fact, this entire story of Eli and Eli's son's wickedness is bracketed by the demotion of Eli and elevation of Samuel. You might not have noticed it, but take a look at verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. It writes, The boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. At the end of the story about the wickedness of Eli's sons, chapter 3, verse 1. The sentence is almost identical. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. What's missing? The priest. The designation Eli as a priest is missing in chapter 3, 1. Eli is demoted. And God is raising up a new priesthood through Samuel. The change is almost imperceptible. You would have missed it if you weren't paying attention, but it's there. It's telling you that God is at work. And it started with last week in chapter 1 with Hannah praying to God. The answer to her silent prayer was the promise of the Messiah who will come and who will restore justice and righteousness. When Eli's sons were falling out of favor with God and with God's people, Samuel is growing in favor with God and with God's people. God is answering their prayers. God is watching and he is committed to the renewal of his people even if we think it's sometimes hopeless. It seems so bleak. What's God doing? God doing. God is at work. He's committed to renewing his people, his church. Jesus said even the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church because God is committed to it. One of the things that God will bring as he brings renewal to his people is renewal to our worship. God will reform our worship. We've seen already how God will remove the corrupt priesthood. And the man of God comes in verse 27, chapter 2, verse 27, to speak of the impending judgment. The priesthood given to Eli's family will be given to another. And we'll see that uh, being fulfilled later on with the house of Zadok. We'll see how uh, Hophni and Phinehas will die in one day as a sign of God's judgment. Worship is a serious business. Things have gone wrong and the worship needs to be reformed. Well, what has gone so wrong? Well, Eli's sons made, it seems, worship of God, worship of themselves. They used religion to get what they want. Instead of worshiping God, they used the worship of God to fill their own appetite, their own belly, not just their, um, the, 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 the 
to, to fill their sexual desires as well. It became about them and not about God. And most of us aren't leaders in the church in the same way, but we can still fall into the same trap, can we? Do we worship God or ourselves? Even as you come to church, what do you pray for? What are you concerned about? Have we come because we acknowledge that God is this amazing God who's created the heavens and the earth, who's sustaining us because he sent his son Jesus to die for us and we're moved by his grace and mercy? Or have we come to demand something from God? Have we come to ask God to fulfill our needs for God to be my servant? How much of our Christian activities done ultimately for ourselves rather than for God? Does our worship sometimes degenerate uh, into worship of me? Eli didn't quite live for himself, but it seems that he lived, his for, that he lived for his children. God's words in verse, chapter 2, verse 29 is, is harsh. Take a look. Why do you honor your sons more than me? God says to Eli, why do you honor your sons more than me? He didn't actively participate in the wickedness, but he did so passively. He indulged them in their sins. He watched their sins go on year after year. And honoring our children more than God, well, that's a trap that we can fall into ourselves. In Hong Kong, we're culturally encouraged to live for our children. Many work and live for our children. Many say, well, what do we do all of this if our next generation fall?" Right, if our next generation isn't benefiting, what's the point? When when our children become our idols, uh, one of two things happen. One, we might might, uh, get really harsh uh, towards our children, expecting too much from our children, pressing on too hard, giving all that pressure that they can't handle. We scold them all the time. Uh, We watch their every action so that they uh, conform to the image that we have in our minds. Or the other other way is that we can uh, fall into the trap of coddling our children, giving them everything that they need, never saying no to them, letting them get away with murder because they are our children. It seems Eli had fallen into that trap. He was willing to tell them off, but not too harshly. Right? Not in such a way that that would put a wedge between he and his children. So after they're telling them off, he ate with them their stolen meal. He let them go on in their sins. Friends, we must put God before anything else. Jesus said, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their, their children, their sons or daughter more than me is not worthy worthy of me. And it's only when we love God more than we love anything else, more than we love our children, we're able to love our children in the same, in the right way. If Eli had loved God more than his children, he might have been able to tell them off by doing the necessary thing, by loving them, by stopping them from robbing uh, robbing God and robbing uh, from God's children. He might have been able to stop his children from making the place of worship into a place of prostitution. He might have saved himself and his children from destruction. He might have been able to stop the whole country falling into spiritual anarchy. 
the renewal of the church, the renewal of God's people first come when we learn to worship God, when we learn to love God before anything else, when we learn to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. I shudder to ask, but what do you think of your pastors? Are they worshiping God, or do you think they're in it for themselves? What have you come to worship today? Why have you come? Is that because something that you want from God, for God to do and serve you? Have you come for your children? Have you come for wealth, to, for your desires to be met? When our worship is reformed, God's people's reformed. And that will happen when we listen to God's word, when we speak God's word to each other. Our God speaks. God created the heavens and the earth by speaking his word. He ruled over Adam and Eve by speaking his word. Uh, God uh, spoke to Abraham, making a promise that's still being fulfilled today through Christ. He spoke to Moses, calling him and sending him out. Wherever, whenever the country goes astray, Israel goes astray, God raises up a prophet who will listen to God's word, who will speak his word faithfully to God's people. And when the time came, God sent the man of God to speak his word of judgment to Eli and his sons. But according to chapter 3, verse 1, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not too many visions. There were not many visions. No doubt that's a sign of God's judgment, but thankfully those aren't the last word for Israel. The story goes on, and we're to recognize in chapter 3, the first few verses, to recognize the double meaning in those verses. Eli, we're told, his sight's dim, he's barely able to see. Of course, the details is there to alert us to his spiritual state. His spiritual vision is so weak that he's barely able to see God. Verse 3 continues, The lamp of God had not yet gone out, which on one level is about just a lighting situation in the room. But actually, that's a frivolous detail. It's not just there, right? It's there to tell us that even in the midst of the darkness, God is still there. The hope of God still burns. And that hope of God, God who is active, sends the man of God to speak his word. The word of God comes to Eli. Samuel doesn't recognize God's voice. He had never heard God's voice in this way before. He thinks it's Eli calling him. This happens once, twice, and third time. And the third time it happens, Eli realizes that it's God calling Samuel. And so he instructs him to answer God, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And this time something is different. Take a look at verse 10. The Lord came and stood there. The word of God comes in visible form to Samuel. The point, of course, is that the word of God is God himself who has come. In the final verse of this chapter, verse 21, the two are equated. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The word of God and the Lord is the same thing. How does God renew his people? His peop- uh, th- how does God renew the world? Through his word. By raising up people who would listen to his word, who would speak his word. This is Tim Chester writing about this verse. The crisis of our culture 
in the crisis of our culture, we need God's word. Our hope will not come through legislation to defend Christianity. It will not come through gimmicky methods or trendy services. It will not compete with Hollywood for entertainment. Our hope is in the power of God's word. In the crisis of Hong Kong, how will God renew his people? Through his word. By raising up people who will listen to his word, who will go out and speak the hope of his word to the world around us. Are you listening to God's word? I don't mean the word that comes in the middle of the night. You know, that comes, that's, those are still rare in today, in these days as well. But the word of God that came to Samuel, the word of God that came to all the prophets have been recorded for us. And 2,000 years back, God sent the word of God, Jesus Christ, who revealed the fullness of God to, to the people. Those words have been recorded for us. The apostles and the prophets wrote the word of God so that we might hear from God every day as we open up the pages of God's word. Someone said, if you want to hear from God, read the Bible. If you want to hear God's word audibly, read it out loud. (laughs) Of course, that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to us in special ways. He does. But the main way that we hear from God every day is through the living words of Scripture. Those are living and active even today. You know, I've given that statistics. The average Christian prays of one minute a day. I wonder how much time we spend in reading the Bible each day. Are we listening to God? How long in a day do we meditate on God's word? You know, but that's only the half. That's only the half of uh, the, the work there, half of the task. As we listen to God's word, we also must speak it to ourselves, to the people around you, to our city. And that's why we're doing one-to-one training. Um, Join us in one-to-one training. That's why we uh, study the Bible together in groups, so that we might speak God's word to one another, God's truth to each other. That's why we need to go out into Hong Kong to our colleagues, to our family, and speak the truth of God to the world. Those are written, these words are written for us, the church. I know it's not easy, though, to speak God's word to uh, the people, to even to the church. Just look at the task that Samuel's given. The first task that he's given is to go to his godfather, Eli, and speak a word of judgment, how God will not forgive him and his family. That is difficult. And it is sometimes difficult to speak God's truth to each other and to the world. Because, of course, the message of the gospel is prickly. It's not all easy. It's not all sweet. From this pulpit, if I only exhort, if I only affirm, if I only encourage, well, I'm not actually speaking God's word, am I? I'm coddling you, just like Eli did his children. If we meet with each other in the church and the message of rebuke never comes up, we're not speaking God's truth. We must speak God's truth in love. If we go out to the world and only tell people only the sweetness of the gospel, but never the cost of the gospel, what Jesus demands from us, we're deceiving people. We're not speaking God's word to others. Remember the first word of our Lord Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. He comes and says, repent. That is the gospel. He has made us way. Repent and follow him. 
are we confident that as we speak God's word, we will be transformed. As we listen to we will be transformed. As we speak to one another, that we will be transformed. As we speak it to the world, that the world will be transformed. Will you start reading the Bible? Will you start a reading plan if you don't have one? Start a reading plan. If you find it difficult to read the Bible, come to me. I'll pair you up with somebody who can read the Bible with you. Let's read it together. We're not here to just do the struggle by ourselves. The church is here to help you so that we can speak God's truth to each other. Commit to coming to one of the links groups, to reading the Bible together. And will you commit to go out? Speak the truth of God to your friends, family, and the city. The word of God these days does not have to be rare if we're people who listen and who speak. I've been praying for a revival in Shatin Church. Sometimes I wonder, what oh God, what are you doing here? I've been praying for the revival of the churches around the world as millennials stop going to church. As literally the, the, the age of the church, it, it, the people are dying in the church. The church is dying off as the older generation is aging. I've been praying for the church in Hong Kong, for it not to be this small voice, but a powerful voice of God that transforms the city. Will you pray together with me? Will you go out and speak God's word with me? Church has been told that it will die again and again. Things had looked bleak uh, for the church in the days of Simeon, days of Charles Wesley, uh, days of Jonathan Edwards. It was terrible at the time. But God was committed to the renewal of his people. But that revival, though, starts out very small. It starts out with people like Hannah desperately crying out to God and asking God to do something. Right? It starts out with people listening to God's word and speaking it, going out. It starts with God's word. It starts when we, our worship is transformed. That it's not about ourselves. That, our, that what we do on Sunday, it's not about ourselves. What, how we live our lives out there, it's not about ourselves, but it's about God. It becomes a spiritual act of worship. When that happens, revival comes. Will you pray for that revival? Will you be agents of that revival? Will you pray? Will you worship? Will you read? And will you speak? Let's pray together. Speak, for your servant is listening. Lord, may may that be the prayers of your people in this church. May that be people, may, may we be people who constantly devote ourselves to listening to your word, for it to transform us and our life, and help us to be people then to, people who speak your word to each other and to our city. Lord, would you transform our worship, that we are concerned and focused for your glory and not for our sake. Would you bring a revival to Shatin Church? Would you bring a revival to the church in Hong Kong? Would you bring a revival to the churches around the world? And we thank you that it is not our church, it is yours, that you are committed to its survival, to its renewal, to its flourishing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.